Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them to the New Testament, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are going to be in Luke 4 this morning. Um, for those of you who are, uh, might be new uh, or joining online, uh, welcome in Christ's name. It's good to have uh, each and every one of you here. Uh, all summer long, uh, we are in a sermon series called Good Question. When 2021 began, uh, we challenged one another in the congregation to read through the Bible, cover to cover, uh, Genesis through Revelation. And uh, many of you said, uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give that a try. I'm going to uh, uh, set that on my list this year to read through the Bible, cover to cover. And many of you have been reading through the Bible, and uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, but what, is, uh, what is, I've discovered, what you've discovered, is that uh, you've got questions questions about the Bible. You've got questions about Jesus. Uh, you've got questions about God. You've got questions about the church. You've got questions about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so all summer long, uh, we are addressing, trying to address your questions. And we're calling this series Good Questions because these are really good questions uh, that have really kind of bubbled to the surface. Well, if you were here last Sunday, uh, we are going to pick up, uh, this is actually a two-part series uh, because uh, the question that we're going to talk about today, uh, it, it's a big question. It's a question that nearly every one of you has been wrestling with over the summer. And so uh, the question is simply this, as a Jesus follower, what do I do with the Old Testament? As someone who lives uh, as a Jesus follower and has studied the New Testament, what do we do with the Old Testament? As a New Testament person, do we even need to read the Old Testament? And that is the question that I'm going to pick up uh, and continue on with this morning. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for a beautiful morning, uh, for the ways in which your breeze is, is bringing us uh, coolness, the ways, God, in which we get to experience um, your sanctuary, your creation. God, as we reflect on your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last Sunday, uh, I began the worship with a very unscientific poll. Remember that unscientific poll last weekend? Uh, I talked about the Ten Commandments, and I challenged you, and I asked you, and I polled you and said, hey, as New Testament Christians, do we follow the Ten Commandments, which, of course, are in the Old Testament? Do we New Testament people study and try seek to obey the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament? Testament. And I got to tell you, as I stood up here last week, about a third of you said, yep, we should be following the Ten Commandments. About a third of you said, nope, uh, we don't need to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. And about a third of you said, yeah, I don't know. Or yeah, I guess you just try and do your best with the Ten Commandments. And I thought last weekend was great. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. And I thought uh, the sermon brought great clarity around this issue. So I thought I would come back to that same question and that same poll this morning. Uh, so the question again on the table is, as Jesus followers, as people of the New Testament, do we follow and obey the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament? If you think yes, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. If you think no, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. If you're unsure, do your best. Raise your hand. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, we're still kind of all over the place a little bit with all this. So uh, I think we've got a little bit more work to do. Now, I, I throw that out there a bit tongue-in-cheek uh, because it is a, a bit of a trick question. It's kind of a trick question in terms of how I ask that question because we look at the New Testament, we look at the teachings of Jesus and the ways in which he reminds us and invites us what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And in his most famous sermon, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is preaching. And so in Matthew 5, Jesus come, uh, begins his sermon this way in uh, five seventeen: Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is saying, yes, absolutely follow the law. Pay attention to the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament. And so Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to kind of clarify uh, the Ten Commandments and particular laws. In verse 27 uh, of Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. That's the Seventh Commandment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've uh, not committed adultery. Have you all followed that commandment? Jesus clarifies what it means to follow commandment number seven. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, if you were feeling smug just a minute ago, you have not followed that commandment. You have not obeyed that commandment as Jesus has clarified what it means to uh, commit adultery. Jesus goes on. You have heard that it was said long, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And you might be feeling good about yourself. And I could ask you this morning, how many of you have obeyed that commandment and not murdered? And I think a lot of us would be like, yep, I've obeyed that commandment as well. Commandment number six. Jesus continues. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So just to remind you this morning, not only are all of you adulterers, you're all murderers as well, according to the teachings of Jesus, as he defines the Ten Commandments. And if you, do, you still think that you haven't uh, uh, committed adultery or committed murder, you're also a liar. Because Jesus tells us that we all fall into these sins. We all fail to keep the commandments of the Old Testament. In fact, I would even imagine some of you murdered your spouse this morning on the way to church. Some of you might even have murdered a sibling this morning or over the weekend, right? I mean, these are not just things from long ago. These are sins that you have committed recently, maybe even this morning. 
And in case any of us are feeling good about ourselves, keeping the Old Testament law, keeping the commandments, Jesus continues in his sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, hey, here, here we go, folks. I want to be really clear about what it means to follow God's law. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There it is. There's God's standard. There's God's expectation. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes when we think about or read the Old Testament, we think the Old Testament, that's full of laws, strict laws, those things that we can't do, thou shalt not. And the New Testament is all about Jesus and love and grace. But the Sermon on the Mount blows that whole argument out of the water. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount actually looks at the people and says, the Old Testament was great. Those laws were good, but they were really easy and they were filled with loopholes. Jesus was so much stricter as it relates to following God's laws, the Ten Commandments and everything in the Old Testament. So what do we do with the Old Testament? Laws rules that God calls us to. And Jesus says, oh, it's actually way worse than what you think. The expectation is actually perfection. What do we do with the Old Testament? Well, uh, if you were not here last weekend, uh, I want to bring you up to speed on what we talked about. So this is the sermon from last weekend, 43 minutes in about three minutes. Here we go. Last weekend, we talked about when God created the world. God looked down on the world, trying to find someone who's righteous. God could find nobody, someone who God wanted to be in relationship with. God said, there is nobody there who, has, who lives up to my standards. And so God went to a guy by the name of Abraham, and he said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to be your God, and you uh, are going to form a nation someday. You are going to be known as the tribe of Israel. We, of course, know them as the Jewish people today. So in all the world, nobody was righteous, not even Abraham, but God said, that's okay. I'm going to work with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Out of all the people, out of all the tribes on the earth, I am going to be in a special relationship. That relationship is called a covenant. Covenant is another word for testament. And this is where we get the word, the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. It's that special relationship between God and God's people. And to kind of sum it all up that we talked about last weekend is that God said, I'm going to have a special relationship with my people, my people alone. It was a very exclusive relationship between God and the Jewish people. And so what we summed it up and said last weekend is that the Old Testament was written for God's people, the Jewish people, which means the Old Testament was not written for you. It was not written for the whole world. It was just written for Abraham and his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Israelites, and the Jewish people. And so we kind of said, hey, the, the, the Old Testament was not written for you or for me but it was written to help us, help you, and help me. And we use this illustration of siblings. Remember that? 
I have an older brother, and I shared with you last weekend that my older brother, being the older brother, he got to test out all the rules, all the boundaries, all the guidelines with my parents. And I was watching. I was taking notes. And if you have an older sibling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's wonderful having an older sibling when you're growing up because they make all the mistakes. And when they make all the mistakes, you're taking notes. So you learn from their behavior. And this is exactly what the relationship with uh, God and, and us today is. It's like the Jewish people are older brothers and sisters. They're our siblings we get to read into their lives in the Old Testament and learn about God, learn about God's love for us and for all of humanity. And we get to try to not make the same mistakes that the Israelites made. And the last thing I'll say about uh, our, our sermon uh, from last weekend is that over and over and over, we looked towards those folks in the Old Testament and the ways in which their stories, their lives, the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets pointed forward, looked forward to the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come and save and rescue those who are lost, those who are far from God. So that's what we talked about last weekend. And this weekend, I want to talk about the second reason uh, why we should, why we ought to be reading the Old Testament. Now, I'm just scratching the surface here. There's so much more we could say about why does a Christian, why does a New Testament person uh, read the Old Testament. But last weekend, I talked about how the Old Testament points forward uh, to the person of Jesus. And today, I want to talk to you and invite you and encourage you to think about the New Testament and throughout the New Testament, how the people in the New Testament were looking back to the Old Testament. They were quoting the Old Testament. They were looking at ideas and concepts and themes. So last weekend, I talked about how the Old Testament points forward. This weekend, I want to talk to you about how the New Testament points back to the Old Testament. And in the middle uh, is Jesus Christ, the one who has come. Uh, to rescue us and all of humanity. So I'm going to invite you uh, to go ahead um, and open up your Bibles to Luke 4. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context uh, for this New Testament passage. Jesus, up until this point in time, had spent most of his life in Nazareth. He was a carpenter. He was a guy, just a normal blue-collar worker, doing what he did in his day. And then once, then once uh, on one day, he went out to the river and he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then scripture tells us shortly thereafter, he was, went out into the wilderness, into the desert, and he was tempted by the devil. So, I mean, things have just gotten going with Jesus. And where we pick up today in the story we're going to read today is where Jesus uh, preaches his very first sermon. And everybody who's ever preached a sermon, you can remember your first sermon because you think to yourself, oh my goodness, what in the world did I say? You never forget your first sermon. And this was Jesus' very first sermon in Ga the region of Galilee, not far from where he grew up. Uh, so Luke 4, beginning with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there's Jesus standing up there, preaching his first sermon, and it's from Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61. You know, that's just one example of a direct quote in the New Testament pointing back to the Old Testament. Earlier when I read from, uh, to you uh, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, you know, I shared with you those two co commandments. Again, those were two more quotes from the Old Testament. In fact, there are 283 direct quotes in the New Testament that refer directly back to the Old Testament. That's a lot. A lot of the New Testament is simply quotations from the Old Testament. And so we have to ask ourselves, this might be kind of important, right? That we ought to know what's going on in the Old Testament, and furthermore, over and over and over, Jesus, Peter, James, John, Andrew, the Apostle Paul, they will be talking about events, theology, and history, things going on in the Old Testament. Not direct quotes, but still referring back to the Old Testament. And this happens over and over and over uh, throughout the New Testament. Just one, one more quick example for you. In the Gospel of John, there are these seven I am statements. Maybe you're familiar with these. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am uh, the, the sheep, uh, sheep gate to the pen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. There's these, all these I, I am statements. These are not direct quotes to the Old Testament. But every Jewish person who is reading and hearing the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, hears Jesus talking about, I am. And every Jewish person knows in that moment, and they are reminded and taken back to that moment when Moses was having a conversation with God. And Moses looks at God and says, God, who are you? And God looks at Moses and says, I am. It's my name. I am. So when Jesus says, I am, he's referring to himself as God, the very presence of God. So of course, people sat up. Of course, people listened. Of course, people wondered. Of course, people got mad because Jesus made some extraordinary claims that he was in fact, God incarnate in a human being. And there's example after example after example in the New Testament pointing back to the stories of the Old Testament. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at that just a little bit more. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then Jesus began to preach. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
That's a pretty short sermon. That's a pretty good sermon, right? I mean, Jesus kind of says it all right there. Everything I just read to you about the Old Testament is fulfilled in me, is what Jesus says. And the people were captivated. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? All of them are thinking to themselves, man, who is this guy? He just claimed to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. This is extraordinary. And we love the fact that Jesus preaches this sermon and he quotes from the Old Testament. His very first sermon is all about love and forgiveness and setting the captives free. I mean, we all want to come to church and hear a really inspiring uh, good news sermon, right? We love to come to church on Sunday morning and hear about God's love. Oh, it makes us feel so good. Those are the best sermons, right? And that's the sermon that Jesus was preaching on that morning. But he wasn't finished. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So Jesus looks at them and after he gives them this feel-good sermon all about love, he says, you know what, you're going you're, you're gonna to want me to prove it now. But even if I prove it, even if I show you evidence that I am indeed the Son of God, you're still not going to believe it. And so the people are like, oh, that's kind of edgy Jesus, right? He's starting to get into their face just a little bit. And then Jesus continues on. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, I have preached a number of sermons in my day, and I have had people who have disagreed with me in my sermons in my day. I have had people get angry with me and sent me emails and said, I think even kind of some nasty things about my sermons. But nobody has ever tried to throw me off a cliff on any of my preaching. I mean, that's just a bad day of preaching. So we have to ask ourselves, what is going on with the crowd on that day? Why are they so mad? Why are they so upset? Well, if we don't read the Old Testament, we have no idea. Man, Jesus said something to really get those folks upset. But so many of you, you have been reading the Old Testament. On June 16th, you read about Elijah. And that story that Jesus just quoted from on June 23rd, you just read about Elisha, the story that Jesus was talking about. You've read this in the Old Testament. 
And so you ask yourself, man, why were the people so mad? What were they so upset about? And you know as well as I do, those examples were of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And Elijah and Elisha were having interactions with some Gentiles, non-Jews. This is what made the people so mad on that day. They're excited that the Messiah has come. They're excited that the rescue and release is upon them. But they are furious that the very first words out of Jesus' mouth after that proclamation that the Messiah has come, that Jesus all of a sudden starts talking about the Gentiles, the people who are different. Every Jewish person knew this is who God loved. This is who God had a special relationship, not the Gentiles. And that was the sermon from Jesus' mouth on that morning. And you know that because you've read the Old Testament, many of you. And you know what, what a controversial thing that was, even for Elijah and Elisha. And that got them in hot water back in the day during Old Testament times. See, the Old Testament, it helps us to connect the dots. It helps us to connect the dots between the New Testament and all that's going on with the things that were happening in the past. And when we read the Old Testament, it helps to connect the dots and understand why people got so excited when Jesus showed up. The Messiah has finally come. The one who heals us, the one who rescues us, the one who comes and meets us, the very person of God has shown up and here he is. But the Old Testament, these, these connecting of the dots also help us to understand why people got so angry with Jesus. It helps us to understand all those events in the Old Testament and why when Jesus shows up, why the religious leaders said, we got to kill that guy. We need to execute him because he has causing problems. He's connecting just enough of the dots in the Old Testament, but we don't like what he has to say. Because this, the gospel story is no longer about the Jewish people. Jesus is all of a sudden talking about rescuing everybody, including the Gentiles. We're no longer God's special people. And it's that connection of the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the New Testament. And it goes back and forth. So do we need to know the Old Testament? Do we need to read the books of the Old Testament? Do we need to study the books of the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament? I would say no. We don't need to read the Old Testament. There are 66 books in the Bible. I would argue you don't need to read 39 books of the Old Testament to understand who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's helpful. It's helpful for us to read the Old Testament because there's so much going on in the New Testament that the Old Testament gives us context. In fact, I'm even going to say something more controversial this morning. I don't think you need to read most of the New Testament to understand who Jesus was and Jesus is. I think if you read the Gospel of John, 
the book of Romans and 2 Corinthians, you would have all the information, all the knowledge you need to know about who Jesus Christ, what it means to be a faithful follower of his and to proclaim that news to the whole world. Three books out of 66, you can get rid of all the rest. And you can still have a a foundation, an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so what do you do with those other 63 books? I think you need to read them. You don't have to read them, but I think it's helpful for you to read them. I think it's helpful for you to read Ephesians. I think it's helpful for you to read Galatians. I think it's helpful for you to read Revelation. I think it's helpful for you to read Matthew and Mark and Luke. I think it's helpful for you to read the entire Bible. So the only question I have for us this morning is, if Jesus shows up in the Old Testament over and over and over, uh, pointing toward the New Testament and the coming of the Messiah... And in the New Testament, over and over and over, they are looking back at the Old Testament and and how God is working in human history. Why would we not want to read all 66 books of the Bible? Why would you not want to learn more about God? Every single book in the Old Testament teaches us something about the character, the nature, the love, the forgiveness of God. Why would you not want to read that? People say, I don't know, you know much about God. Well, there's, it's in God's word. It's in his book. He's given it to us. We ought to read it. You see the dilemma here? We don't have to read the Old Testament, but we should want to. Because when we do, we learn stuff about God. The Old Testament helps us grow in our relationship with God. The Old Testament helps us to learn and understand about things that are going on in the New Testament. And the New Testament constantly uh, points back to the Old Testament. So there's just this constant back and forth, this, this coming together and explaining, this is who God is. Now, the best analogy or the best uh, story I could think of of how I think this works in our lives today. I want to take you back to 1977. Anybody remember 1977? A couple of you remember 1977. There was something really big that happened in 1977. There was a new movie that came out in the theaters. It was called Star Wars. I didn't know anything about Star Wars. I had never read any of the Star Wars books. But I went to the movie theater because I wanted to see Star Wars. I was a kid and I heard there was violence and fights and and all sorts of good stuff. And it was going to happen up in the sky. So I remember going to this movie and I was just on the edge of my seat. I was all into Star Wars, the battle against Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. But there was lots of details that were missing. I didn't care because I just loved the battle that was going on between good and evil. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, wasn't that the best? But there was just kind of this uneasiness, this wondering, what is going on in this relationship between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader? I don't know. Three years later, 1980, the Empire strikes back. And there's this battle scene. And pretty soon we hear the words, Luke, I am your father. Whoa. That's messed up, right? That's unhealthy. What's going on in the story? 
And I just, I love Star Wars. I was just a fanatic and, and I just continued to follow all the Star Wars stuff. And this went on and on and on for 28 years. And I had many, many questions. And it wasn't until 2005 when I was watching Revenge of the Sith. And all of a sudden, I got to watch Anakin Skywalker gradually over time throughout the movie turn into, the dark, go, turn into Darth Vader and go to the dark side. Remember that moment? 28 years later, I came out of the theater going, now I get it. Now I understand. Oh, it's so helpful to see how Anakin turned from such a great guy to Darth Vader. I got to tell you, for just a moment, it, it never, uh, all those 28 years, I never stopped lock, liking Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I didn't need to know the relationship between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, but it was helpful. It was good. And it makes all the sense in the world to me now. Anybody with me in the whole Star Wars thing? Yeah, some of you remember watching that growing up. Man, I love Star Wars. It's the same way, I think, in, in much the same way. We don't need to understand everything about the Old Testament, but it's helpful. It helps us to grow in our relationship with God. So what do we do with the Old Testament? We read it. We read it. We study it. We learn from it. We learn about God and his character and all the ways in which the Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Messiah. We also look to the Old Testament and read it so that we can understand what's going on in the New Testament as the New Testament continually refers back to the Old Testament. It's a great reminder for us that we don't have to understand it all. There is no test at the end of 2021 with all the details in the Bible. But read it. Study it. It will help you to become a better follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love about the New Testament is how Jesus teaches and preaches. It's no longer about these folks. Remember that day he preached another sermon? Smaller crowd, just Nicodemus, a few guys hanging out. He says, guys, things have changed. For God so loved the world. Not just a tribe, not just a group of People, Jews, God loved the whole world that he sent me to come into the world. I'm God's son. That whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that was an extraordinary sermon. And that was an extraordinary shift for God's people. And it's why it made the Jewish people so mad. And they wanted to hang him on a cross. Because they were no longer the center of the universe. God says, the whole world now. Every single person. And I think that's good news. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves every single person as you have always loved every single person in the world. But God, at the same time, there's just this mystery of why you chose a particular group of people 
for a couple thousand years to be, have a special relationship, a special covenant relationship with you. And now God, during this new covenant, this new, these New Testament times, you've invited all of us to walk with you. So God, thank you for the Old Testament, the ways in which we get to learn and grow, uh, learn about you. And God, thank you for the New Testament, the ways in which we can see how your word was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So Lord, equip us, empower us to be people who study your word, Old Testament and New Testament. May it glorify you, may it honor you, and may we grow with you. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.